0: Hey everybody, this is Matt. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it. I see everything that you send in and it really matters a lot. For this episode, I have a favor and some homework. So the favor is on Saturday, May 2nd at 9am. My two guests, Joshua and Quinn, they're going to be running in the Wings for Life World Run sponsored by Red Bull. And this is a virtual run that is raising funds for helping cure spinal cord injury. And uh, they're going to be actually doing a different format than the actual run as presented on Wings for Life. They're going to be doing 24 hours around Lake Estes. So Joshua is going to be running Quinn is going to be in a hand cycle and 9 a.m. May 2nd, they are going to get started and go till 9 a.m. Sunday. So there should be an app where you can track that. And then the homework is that when I post this episode, there'll be links to articles about Joshua and Quinn that will give you some context as to why this event is so important to them, who they are. Uh, There's a couple of great articles on Outside Magazine and Patagonia's website that so well written and way better than anything I could describe. So I would send you there before you listen to this episode, just to have some context on these two amazing individuals. And if you feel so compelled to donate to Wings for Life, I know this is tough times for everybody, but uh, every dollar would help. So Thank you for listening, and enjoy this episode with Joshua and Quinn. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go.
1: What are your qualifications?
0: Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively.
2: I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The
0: Matt Sodnikar Podcast.
3: True. <laughs> Funny, Arctic
2: Circle. I know
0: it's so
1: random. <laughs> don't tease me. I know should happen.
0: <laughs> You'll probably need to record that as an episode too. Yeah. So I'm just Absolutely. saying. So, hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you to everybody that has been listening and sharing it and commenting. I sincerely appreciate it. Uh, today, I'm up in Estes Park, and I'm here with Quinn Brett. She's a professional rock climber and newly crowned uh, National Park Accessibility Advocate. Have you accepted that offer yet? Yes. Excellent. Well, congratulations. Thanks. And also Joshua Stevens, retired Army Lieutenant Colonel, professional mountain ultra runner, and Quinn Brett travel agent. Quinn Brett's travel assistant. <laughs> PA, travel assistant. <laughs> <FCS>. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you for making the time. I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, hey! <laughs> this is uh, I'm going to throw you for a curve. This is the uh, this is Kendra, right. Ryan, the crew chief for this Hi, weekend
0: event. event. Nice to meet you Hi, Matt. Kendra. Sorry, grab
2: it. A a sure. Back from Boulder, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, here, take this one. Okay. Yeah, Matt.
0: Let's see how you do on the fly. Pretty Which good. Is, this, <laughs> is the, this is the center of gravity for the uh, for the event. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, speaking of the event, it's the Wings for Life, the Global Run, and it's going to be around Estes Lake Saturday. Correct? That'll be March 30th. May. Oh May May. Look <laughs> like at me stuck in quarantine <laughs> you have for a hot minute, sir. Uh, what year is it again? I don't know. Is Seventy-seven. Excellent. The golden years of climbing. Oh, right on. So, you know, tell me about the event and then um, I want to dive into some of your personal stories after that.
4: Uh, Right. So this event, uh, it happens annually uh, through the Red Bull and Wings for Life Foundation. Um, And we decided to sign on. Uh, Joshua wanted to do some sort of event to help raise money for spinal cord research. And it just so happened that the timing of this event uh, was now and kind of when we wanted to do it. Um, and they're continuing to do their event regardless of COVID. They have had flagship marathons um, throughout different cities in the world. but They've canceled all of those and they've always had this do it distancely. So if you can't join one of those marathons, you can do it from wherever you are. So with COVID times, it just made sense to just have everyone do it from wherever you are. So you can download this app, um, the World Run app. It's a free app um, and you can join the run and their little slogan is running for those who can't. So 100% of the donations or money raised from this event go to um, Spinal Cord Research. And right now, I think there are seven uh, research or clinical trials or something happening here in the U.S. that they funded. Um, One is a big one in my researching and reading um, that I'm psyched on. It's been fast-tracked. Yeah, and it's just moving We're not gonna find a cure for this thing. I'm not gonna be running up Long's Peak again, probably, but if I can stand up at my kitchen towner and give belly to belly hugs, or pee like a normal human rather than peeing myself, which I do almost every day, that would be neat to find some research for that. (laughs) Oh, 17. They're funded 17 ongoing projects right now in the US, and that's $12 million currently. Um, And there's like 300,000 of us right now globally with this injury. Uh, And that's just spinal cord injury. And a cure for spinal cord injury would help with MS, Alzheimer's, any neurological disorder. Like it's all an issue in the central nervous system. And any kind of cure for any one of those helps any one of us. So that's over a million of us.
2: And I I like to underpin that because I think one of the the reasons um, that Quinn and I were introduced outside of our affinity or same affinity for a local restaurant is that... We we both experienced spinal trauma, and albeit hers more significant than mine, and it was Quinn that educated me, Matt, to, to something that is much more profound than I think people realize. Is that even as significant as her injury is? While she says she may not run up Longs Peak, I will continue to work at this until she gets to do that with me. And it's real, you know what. What we can do, what the science can do and can achieve, this isn't just making somebody's quality of life better in their current existence. And laymen like me thought that was the case. Even though I'd been through spinal treatment, I, if I'd met Quinn before, I would have just assumed that that's, that's as good as it's going to get. And it's not. And I don't accept that it will be. And this is just the first step in what I hope will be future endeavors where we work together I got lucky and if it had gone one way or the other, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. And it's not lost on me that someone as talented and as gifted as her, uh, didn't have the same fortune that I did. And I owe it, you know, to Quinn to be like, right. Not only taking, you know, down her travel requirements to fly (laughs) over the Arctic ocean that just happened before we went live, but like to make sure (laughs) that I use my voice and I use my ability to still run to, to, Show people, you can come back from this. I came back from something relatively minor compared to her. That doesn't mean we're not going to get her back to where she wants to be. And even if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, educating people to understand that Wings for Life is not about making someone's living conditions more comfortable. It's about getting her back into the backcountry the way she deserves to be.
0: And I should say at this point that um, I hope everybody read the homework that I assigned to them before <laughs> the episode to read some very well-written articles and context for these stories. But We'll let, pass those on to Dr. Ryan. <laughs> okay. Actually, she's, she's done that work. <laughs> <laughs> Great. But, uh, yeah, you suffered um, spinal injuries in combat, and you suffered uh, a fall at Yosemite. And so – we can talk about that as little or as much as we need to, but other people have written extensively about it very, very powerfully. And I would just ask the listeners to maybe hit pause if you can and go get up to speed on that. There's links sure. to all that. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, that'll, that'll get you caught up much more eloquently than I could describe it. But sure. um, And we're forward focused, it's kind of what we've. We... You know, we yeah. talk about it in, in, in yeah.
2: context. So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of stories about us out there.
0: Right. And I just didn't want to go through the checklist and the quiz. And, you know, I've learned interviewing authors. It's like, well, tell me about your book. Well, no, asshole. You're supposed to read it <laughs> right. and come up with a question about it. So, good. I'm, you know, I'm forward-focused on that as well. So we're yeah. like a
2: band that's been around a long time. We're like, if we were you two, I don't really want to play War again. I don't want to play what's on the on the new album.
0: Well, I watched the ZZ Top documentary about a month ago, and it was just one of those like, all right, it's like week three of the quarantine, and then it was entertaining to see what right. these guys have done. But they stopped at their album in 1983, and that's when the the whole two hour thing kind of ended.
1: Huh. And yeah. I was
0: like. You guys have kept putting out albums. Yeah. Like, is this just like for the total fanboys and right? So this is not a fanboy interview for both of you. So that's that's good. Well, I mean, again,
2: and you I know, like, I, I can't speak for <clears throat> her. And I, I'm happy, you know, Matt, to, to to talk to talk, you know, talk about it on a topical level. Like that's how we became friends. Sure. Like, and and there's there's I think information to be learned. I think the I haven't been as excited since I was in the same room with one of my best friends who's a sommelier and someone else who had a spinal cord injury where I discovered shit, we could actually fix this stuff. And like just, again, Wings for Life and this run um, is really exciting because I'm, you know, we're looking out the, the front the front view windshield, right?
0: So where we should be focused. Right. So what, let's, Quinn, let's go back to you for a second. So what would have to happen for you to give a belly hug in your kitchen? <laughs>
4: Well, for me, so I have a T12 uh, spinal cord injury, um, which as it goes down your spinal cord, you gain more muscle function uh, wherever your injury level is. So if I had an L1 injury, one vertebrae lower, I might have some quadricep muscles in which I could just stand up, which would be huge. Like then I wouldn't be worried so stressfully about a pressure sore on my butt, because I'm sitting on my butt all day, every day. Um, Yeah, so just little things like that, like essentially, The scientifically speaking, we need to do a lot. Like we need to get down to the glial scar and break it up. And our axons need to cross that scar. Like right now with an injury, you have a giant bruise. And it's crazy that in our peripheral nervous system, when we have a bruise or a scab, it rushes and things heal it up. But with a spinal cord injury in the central nervous system, our bodies are like, no, it's toxic. We're not going to go heal that shit. So it just stays like this little smooshy spot in my spinal cord, probably the size of a dime. But we just need the science to figure that out. And there's a few... I would say there's a few progressive things that are happening. There's something called the no-go trap, epidural stimulators. Stem cells were not there yet, but there's a few things that are pretty close. And if you want to Google those things as well, you can see the epidural stimulators at work. Um, it's like an implant, a little remote control implanted in my spine, and it just spurs those axons to react a little bit more. And then my brain thinks a thing, and oh, my toe wiggling. And it doesn't look awesome like I'm gonna be walking with a jerky motion, but the ability to just stand up, to go up and down stairs, like those are huge in a daily life. <laughs> so, yeah. That's what I'm hoping for eventually. <laughs> Small things. <clears throat> little things. Little things. Little things. Yeah.
0: It's the
2: little things that matter for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like it's it's not to place too much emphasis on what we're doing here because you don't you, you can't be self-centered about the, the magnitude of of this challenge but finding something that I'm qualified to do which is difficult running around in circles we're good as long as no one asks me to read or write we to be alright but like if every time because it this kind of just fell in, into place all at the same time I mean, great community leaders and You know, hopefully, we can have Kendra kind of introduce herself and how she's on this team. But by just doing something small that's magnified exponentially because of these software platforms like this, you know, World Run app, and and people be able to follow us because of 060, you know, creating a tracker. So you could be in Malaysia and watch my stupid icon go around, around circles. But if that makes you feel engaged and it makes you pull up the site and donate money. Like, the, every one of these dollars, every, any, any piece of currency that comes in is going to make it a reality and not just some kind of ethereal discussion happening on a campus somewhere. And that's, to me, the the true excitement about a tiny little town like Estes with, with two people with, you know, a shared passion. And uh, I generally think she likes me. That's friend. Mean. <laughs> I mean. I'm hoping. <laughs> but, like, yeah, like, we like hanging out together. And this is, you know... Um, the all these tiny little things she's talking about all these little pieces of science that are captured they need a unifying theme they need funding they need research and in one day these aren't going to be you know aren't going to be conversations that someone has to live with you know for the duration of their life and to me that's a kind of important thing
0: well, I look at um, <clears throat> like the Star Trek imagination and and Hollywood and everything like that, like the flip phone, you know, it's a, a communicator, right? right? And when you were talking about the the neurostim and everything like that, go watch Iron Man. You know, somebody has to imagine this and sure. believe in it, but then have the resources to make it happen. And it, why not?
4: And I think that's what I struggle with being, I mean, two years into this injury and discovering like I was breaking world records before this and pushing the limits and then being newly disabled and realizing like, I, I think a stigma that's is given is that we're given this wheelchair. Here you are, look at this neat mobility device that you now can move around in. That's archaic as shit. Like nothing has been touched forever, but we have all this other technology out there, yet none of these efforts are being put in because stigmatically, even as a society, when you're in a wheelchair, you're in your device, you're happy, right? You can get around now, you're good. No, this sucks. I can't get in this house. There's three steps in it. Yeah. Like I can't get into most bathrooms because my hips are now 22 inches wide. Like there's a lot of things you don't think about, and we have all this technology out there. We can do better. Yeah.
2: That's <laughs> brilliantly said. Yeah, I mean it's, and this has been such a great education for me as well. Um, you're learning those things. We're all, I think, prisoners of our own experience to some degree. And perspective is is tricky business, and that I don't look through the lens of even line of sight difference between Quinn and I. And both, I would like to think people would consider us both fairly talented endurance athletes and outdoor athletes. The way the world, the not not in a metaphorical sense, Quinn looks at the world differently than i do and i need to appreciate that it's from a completely different line of sight and if i think if you start looking into that and looking at the second and third order effects everything she talks about the ability to take all these massive resources we have and get somebody at the gem lake who is not disabled who's differently abled all right, that's doable. We put a man on the moon in 1969, for God's sake. I can fucking put Quinn up at Gem Lake. Yeah. Really, I, I, if anything less than that is, I should be just playing bingo. I mean, it's weak. So, yeah. And I mean, but she's taught me to kind of just hanging out with her in the house. i like, man, that's like, there's a lot of different steps in this I just thought I was uncoordinated, but it's, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, again, it doesn't sound profound, but if that's her point. Like it's not profound until you experience it. Then it's made, then it's a massive
0: life change and we can do better. We have to. Correct. And it it has to, you have to believe it, right? Right. Yeah. Well, Kendra, let's bring you in to this. I'll pull this over here a little bit. What is your involvement with the, uh, the mission this weekend and these folks and What's your last name? I'm sorry to you. Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, we'll start at the basics.
3: <laughs>
0: like Dr. Jack Ryan
3: from yeah, uh, Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> that right. that one out there too.
0: <laughs> and are you a doctor?
3: <laughs> I am actually a Excellent. doctorate in marine sciences. All right. um, and so I was uh, had the fortunate pleasure to meet Quinn a couple years ago uh, through Estes Park Yoga, which is the business that I have here in town, and just through our community. As Josh said, we have such a great community here. and. If you don't know somebody, you'll meet them at Safeway, so um, I remember uh, talking to you at the um, Bike for Work um, promotion that you were doing for uh, our town cyclists and promoting cycling in our community, so that's where we met, and then uh, Josh, we adopted him, or he adopted us about four months ago, uh, and so now he's, he's part of our family, so he moved in here, and uh, we were really fortunate to meet, again, through other community members who are uh, so involved in supporting of his work. And so then he asked us to be crew chiefs for this weekend. So we'll be uh, coordinating the behind-the-scenes show and making sure that they're getting the nutrition they need, the warm clothes, the cold clothes, the ice baths, uh, comfortable resting spot, um, just however we can support them as they're going through this this weekend.
2: And much like, much like I've said about Quinn, and, and we were just on the IG Uh, Television thing. I'm intentionally surround myself with people who are far more talented, Uh, and she is, and Kendra is being much like Quinn with her background as a climber, exceedingly humble. Like to have a crew chief with her academic pedigree alone, much less her connections to the community, is it's so important. It's so important because this is a community event that we hope has ripple effects at a global scale. And we've talked about how do you make Quinn's, in my experience, relevant to someone in Des Moines, someone who wasn't sending huge climbs in Yosemite or jumping out of airplanes. Like, why is my story relevant to someone who's dealing with depression after a major mm-hmm. injury? or you know, and, and Kendra's capacity to be the connective tissue between what the two athletes are doing to the community in a way we wouldn't have live tracking if it wasn't for Kendra. We wouldn't have access to the mountain shop if it wasn't for like Quinn and Kendra. And so this is all, you know, on the surface, I'm running in circles and she's biking in circles. But what I'd like to think is what looks like simple, you know, to her simple algebra on the surface is really differential equations underneath. And and you know I, I have not been able to appropriately thank Kendra and, and York for that, but yeah we couldn't do it without them.
0: So how big is your lap that you're going to be? How long is it? It's Three point seven two miles, if you're counting, <laughs> with one hundred and ninety
2: feet <laughs> of elevation it's gain. Just a hamster wheel. <laughs> <Just> <laughs>
4: Yeah. around with the beautiful scenery. It yeah. Beautiful. It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah,
0: You know, I was pondering that driving up because I've done, uh, I did the, I got sucked into the ultra backyard quarantine marathon a couple weeks ago. And after having like a six pack on Sunday night and just, I think getting to the bottom of a box of Cheez-Its, I was like <laughs> watching these guys run. And it's been, you know, 40 hours at that point. So the next morning I got yeah. up and like, Gonna do it. So I did uh, a five or a half a mile loop yeah. starting at eight AM and finishing at eight PM every hour on the hour. Yeah. And so just getting out there and doing that. And I think, I think
2: it was my buddy Mike Wardian came in second place. he ran for fifty-three fifty-three hours. Yeah, two hundred some miles. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And I did that twelve times. And <laughs> I got to know every blade of grass, every little street <laughs> right? side. Yeah. And I was like, this. So, and then I was trying to decide, would it be better or worse mentally to do 24 hours of a small course or one big loop where there's a start and a finish? And, you know, to just get, you know, into the running and the riding side of it. What are your thoughts on that? How do you approach that?
2: This is the, I've done several of these before. Um, I think it's going to be interesting is what I'm going to learn from Quinn, like hand cycling. This is... This course will be challenging. I, I can't imagine the most mentally challenging 24-hour event I did was on a treadmill down in Boulder. And that's a lot of time on a treadmill. <laughs> Especially at yeah. night when you're in this facility and the, the lighting from Pearl Street is shining back in and you're like looking at your face. I mean, there's a little, it's on a whole bunch of levels. That's like a lot of, a lot of stuff. This is going to be interesting in that the benefit is it's a fairly large loop compared to what most 24-hour mm-hmm. events are, um, but it's at 7,500 feet uh, elevation above sea level. Uh, we're you know going to have interesting conditions as you want to here in the high Rocky Mountains, and what doesn't look like something you know initially is an issue, but 190 feet of elevation gain compounded exponentially over. Uh, you know, after 12 hours, that's, I'm going to feel, hell, after six hours, I'm going to feel every one of those climbs. <laughs> and she's got to hand crank it with a bike. So, because that gain, Matt, is all essentially compressed on one corner yeah. of the loop. And as a runner, it's concrete. So it's not like I'm on dirt. It's, uh, and I'm not, I mean, I know I look 23, but I'm not. And like, <laughs> I'm going to feel like when you run, you're generating generally, you know, essentially uh, three to four times your body weight in energy energy return. So yeah, on a concrete path for twenty four hours, um that ice bath is gonna it's gonna feel pretty good. Yeah. And what time do you start? Nine AM on Saturday. Okay. Non-standard 9 time.
0: Nine AM to nine AM. Okay. It will not she
2: will not allow it to be one minute later than that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll
4: ring the bell.
2: Wow. What do you think from
4: what you're doing? Um like that it is a longer yeah like we get a little bit mix of terrain like every side of the lake's different like this side's windy that side's not <laughs> um and I luckily that yeah I'll be in my hand cycle so I will be on my having using my arms but I do have a power assist which I can temper to my cadence so I could choose to have one which is nothing or five which is like woohoo! I can do the lake in like 30 minutes <laughs> um and I get to coast downhill where is this bro yeah. Gets to pound it on the paper. That's why
0: I love bikes. <laughs>
2: I'm becoming more and more of a fan. Yeah.
4: And we'll see for me, with spinal cord injury, I have a lot more like little outlier things. Like I have to pee a lot more often. And it's a fair deal for me to get out of my bike and somewhere to pee. Like I can't just squat behind a tree. Um, so I'll have to figure out those little nuances of how that's going to work for me.
2: Yeah, we're going to have rain. I mean, 40% chance. Like, And that's in, it, again, none of these things in, in and of themselves are insurmountable i mean like she gets tired of me talking about it like (laughs) she's such a badass climber and trail runner like and i like to think my former profession set conditions where i'm used to some discomfort but it's like 24 hours just magnifies all of that like hitting a headwind knowing where it's going to come every single time begins to wear down on you emotionally. Like, it's you know, it's, does it does not look bad this weekend? But we've been out there at times. When you get like a 30-mile-an-hour gust, and you're like, for the love of God, for Christ's sake, seriously? I get another a mile and a half of this before I get any relief. And then it's every runner's nightmare. It feels like the headwind just follows you. You get around the other side, you're like, what? But, yeah, we're going to have people around the marina you know it's going to be during the day there's there are things that it's not just the physical exertion i find like what i love about ultra running is it tests my capacity to deal with millions of non-linear variables i don't know when i'm going to get cranky i really don't know when i'm going to get tired i don't know when a foot feels like it's going to blow up or <laughs> and in quinn is you know it's the same way she didn't send big walls and stuff like because it was sport climbing at the local shop i mean it's Oh man, I didn't anticipate. I didn't anticipate it going like this. Let me do some problem solving, and that's, I I want it to suck a little bit, mm-hmm. and I know from having done this for a few years, it will not. Oh, disappoint you're me. your wish. Oh. It's going to disappoint me. <laughs> you know, at two in the morning, it's been raining for six hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
0: gonna be, not going to be great. That was the hardest thing for me as a new cyclist was to uh, process the wind. And I remember, I think the first year I had my road bike that I was down in the drops and it was a headwind and I just lost my shit. Like I was just grabbing the drops and just like, "Ah!" and then just had a moment and I was like, all right, I went off the deep end there. And then now I just had to. Embrace it and just go. Look, I chose to be out here, Mm -hmm. and this is miserable. But just to, like you were saying, just kind of embrace the misery.
4: Yeah, Yeah, in the climbing world, they like to call that type two fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we use that. We use that too (laughs) in the cycling world. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
2: yeah. And another, you know, another piece of, and I'd love you to talk about it is, Kendra's also a, a military officer enable 05 and that was one of the ways that we became connected and that's a great thing about the military is you know I started learning from when I was 18 that um, no plan survives first contact so I can sit down and I've already annoyed the shit out of them because when I'm tapering I have nothing to do but write these novellas these fucking emails that just go on and on and on because I have all this nervous energy and as I'm going through it it's cathartic and I'm like I feel like I'm addressing things but at the end of the day I'm just going to hand her like a ball of shit. i mean, like, here you go Kendra like something's going to happen a number of things are going to happen and like I couldn't have somebody more qualified to take care of me and Quinn and somebody's like ah okay well we'll throw some freaking duct tape on that and here's an orange and nine volt battery and a toothpick
0: we'll make it work <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it together um, nice well, yeah, let's talk about like the, uh, the nutrition plan um, for a second because I'm, I'm fascinated by that because do the requirements change the longer a body's under stress? I mean, you're going to be feeding them different things, drinking different things as that goes on.
3: Yeah, and I think Josh has a better um, scope on this, but
0: from shrimp person... cocktail the whole time. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know we're firing. Seafood
4: up and dairy. <laughs> yeah, for the long
0: distance ride.
2: He's also
4: running in diapers. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's
2: the scene in, uh, in Anchorman when Will Ferrell's in the, he's a, the glass case it, of emotion? Just, milk was a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, that was. Real, I would like to. When I did the treadmill thing, I am. I am vegan. I've been plant based for a number of years. Okay. And there is a product called Orgain, which is a protein shake, and they have a plant based version of that. I'm gonna say that in 2017, that was not purchased, and I was consuming dairy Orgain, and that is was a let's say my not most productive three hours following that. Yeah. So we like Kendra is like Quinn and I will essentially have all of our stuff. And, and, and Quinn and I were just on the, you know, Instagram television uh, piece with, with my sports dietitian in the UK. And a lot, you know, a lot of, cause Quinn's also her background as a, a, a trail runners. Amazing. But Best, basically, we're like here, Kendra. <laughs> Again, here is a kettle full of shit. Um, <laughs> here's all the things we may or may not need, and then she will have to babysit us because what I may want at mile fifteen will repulse me at mile fifty. You know, just and I don't even know what your favorite favorite things are. I haven't decided
3: yet. <laughs> all right, pop tarts. <laughs> oh. Changes an hour two from hour fifteen. <coughs> <light> <laughs> yeah.
2: Then I brought up shrimp cocktail. Yeah. And the game changed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man! We'll
3: have a camp stove out there. We'll be ready to fire for whatever they're desiring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it sounds uh, absolutely awesome, and um, I I wish you the best of luck on that. It sounds like an amazing cause, and. Good luck on the mental side, because I think it's more mental than physical.
4: Yeah, totally. Especially when the sun sets and the weather turns. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What's the worst hour in a 24-hour event?
4: Mm. For some reason, for me, climbing, it's always like 3 or 4 in the morning. Like in long, Like, I'm okay with getting up at 4 in the morning, but if you see 4 in the morning again, (laughs) you're Mm -hmm. not psyched. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, what's that, what's that
2: uh, axiom or the adage, it's always darkest before the dawn. I think that is the, it's for, for I think, psychological reasons as well as um, climate reasons. you generally coldest mm-hmm. during that time period and if you're out in exposed areas. Uh, and we, you know, we live here, you know, we'll be running and biking at 7,500 feet. Yeah. And <clears> that's three, four, five in the morning, it's Cold. I mean, there's going to be a, roughly close to a 30 degree temperature variance. And then you add rain into that, like three and four. That's going to suck. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all relative, but she's yeah, she's right.
4: right. You get benighted, it's okay. But then belighted? Belighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Now we day two.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. But you'll be done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's not going to let me stop, so... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, um, you had mentioned depression and, um, I don't typically shy away from those discussions when I talk to people. And so, um, have you both battled that with your circumstances and how bad did it get and what were some things that helped or or didn't help?
4: Um, for me, yes, with this injury, Um, And I don't even know if I knew I was in it. I'm sure all my friends were like, yeah, she's a grumpy fool to be around. Well, yeah, I just had my whole life turned upside down. Um, And definitely the first summer of this injury, living up here in Estes again and knowing that I can't access the mountains the way that I used to so easily. um, I don't think I was ever, was definitely not suicidal in that I didn't have a plan or that kind of option, but I definitely didn't want to be here. It felt like I was in a very in-between world i can still hear I didn't wasn't trying to kill myself or I wasn't trying to hurt myself in any way but I did and now I'm living this life of like immobility and that's really frustrating um, and it as time has evolved with this injury it's the spaces between crying have gotten further and further but it still hits hard when when it hits hard it hits like fresh which is a very to me that was really renowned like it didn't Think, okay, my healing process has come. When it comes back in, it'll come in in smaller waves and smaller waves. No, no, it it's just as strong and just as uh, present as it ever did. When it does, it's just the space has gone a little bit between them.
2: That's, that's one of the most enlightening things I've heard because that's something that I've, in, in years of therapy that I've found, um, in my life wasn't, we both have different traumas. And while her physical trauma was more significant than me, mine was layered with post traumatic stress disorder from combat, and traumatic brain injury from and blown up. And, and the intensity of those waves of grief and just desperation were so much more intense than anything I had ever experienced before. And I think that's probably why my friends lovingly see me as melodramatic now. But every crisis to me, it's just amplified because I just feel so much more. And I can't account for why that is, but that was one of my favorite quotes that she used was it's the space between the tears. And that's where essentially you want to extend that. But when I have a bad day, it's a really, really bad day. And that's and I wish that, that you know, continue to work on that through therapeutic practices and mindful living and surrounding yourself with positive people and having a support network but yeah I mean I don't ever want anyone to think that if you look at Quinn's in my life even post accidents we still have it pretty good Mm -hmm. but she and I are both very and and people who have experienced the kind of trauma we have when it hits you it's like getting punched by fucking Mike Tyson Mm -hmm. right in the mouth I mean it's debilitating and that's something I wish that I had been more able to communicate to people around me or like to like warn them like when it comes it's going to be dark and black and it's not good
4: right and that's yeah like my communication level with this injury obviously has had to go 10 times more like just my needs i can always just brush people off like i can deal i can deal it's fine i'm okay but now there's times i can't deal like i literally have to find a place to pee and i'm stuck on a plane and you don't have the aisle chair here i'm gonna catheter in your plane seat yeah sorry i gotta go um, or my, the fact that I have nerve pain and it's pretty persistent every other day and it's so high, it affects my sleep. And the next morning, like I might be grumpy today. I'm really sorry. It's not you. Yeah. It's me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I was telling, uh, Joshua when we talked the first time and it's, it's funny you mentioned 4am because one mm-hmm. of the darkest times of my adult life was during my first divorce 10, 12 years ago. And it was 3.37. I'll never forget that. Just roll over and look at the clock. And much like you, I didn't have suicidal ideations and I didn't want to end my existence. I just wanted to A, not think about it for an hour. And I just wanted to fall asleep. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to have a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those, I don't think it was rock bottom yet because I didn't understand how far I had to go as a person and that communication. And, Cause I was a, I was a perfect asshole back then. <laughs> I had it all going on. right? Yeah. But, um, that was rock bottom came later when I saw literally how far I had to climb to get out and just change the person that I was. Yeah. But yeah, I can completely understand where you were at because it's just like, I just, I need a break. What I like
2: to share with with the listeners, Matt, as well, is it's and it's okay to say that's that transition because I have had those ideations and there are two times I came very very close to uh,
0: to killing myself. What were those times like? What were the circumstances? You
2: don't, you can't, you just can't handle feeling anymore. It goes from apathy, like Mm -hmm. I just wish I wasn't here. Yeah, and she and Quinn framed it perfectly because it's something in retrospect now that I look back at like because it's very scary to get to that point where you have a gun in a, a round chamber and it's not a far transition. It's like becoming addicted to opioids or anything. If you, again, it's like understanding her perspective of being in a wheelchair. The distance from here to there is a lot closer than people who have not been faced with those transitions understand. Because you can go from being quintessentially the perfect person to having a gun against your temple. It's not that far. And and it's okay. It's okay. And you can come back from those spaces. But the that scary transition point for me is is what Quinn said. Like, I'm just not putting up a fight anymore. I just it can't be bothered. It's too much. I don't wanna carry this. I don't like I remember that phase really distinctly. And the next phase came that quickly. All it takes is like one trigger. And you're at the next phase. And Do you remember the triggers? Do you remember? It can any... be a breakup. It can be. Okay. It can be anything. You know, it can be anything. I think we're there's so many just different things. And, and what Quinn talked about before is, if you're not used to, if you're used to having insulation and you're used to having coping skills and being resilient and being able to, synthesize that, those negative data points and process them. That's one thing. Like. People like Quinn and I didn't get to where we're at because we're softies. Like, I can <laughs> handle some shit. But all of a sudden, I didn't have that armor anymore. And that's... you. T- I mean, we, we've had to relearn physical things. But I think the mental acrobatics that I had to go through to learn emotionally was the steepest learning curve. Because I went from being the square-jawed, barrel-chested, steely-eyed killer to, like, falling apart every 15 minutes. That was scary. I went, what the... Who the hell am I? Like, what did I turn into?
4: It definitely gives me compassion for... Fellow spinal cord injury folks, like, I think about this all the time. Like, hey, I was gifted that I was a climber, so I have upper arm strength. Right. And now I'm moving my whole entire body now with just my arms. Yeah. But also that mental f- scaffolding that I had from these climbing adventures, like, doing seven walls in seven days. Right. Like, you had to be so climbed out and this thoughtful iterations of, yeah, shit's going to hit the fan. And how do we, right. like, you have to navigate and make things up on the fly. And if you don't have those skills at all, like, man, it's... No wonder you don't see a lot of people out there in wheelchairs. One, the world isn't that accessible. And two, it's daunting.
1: Yeah,
4: Like, I don't want to go out there. I don't know how to adapt. Like, it's not that easy of a task. And even now in this yeah. COVID times, I'm finding myself like reverting to like fresh spinal cord injury times. Like, yeah. I'm, yes, I'm social distancing along with everybody else, but it feels even more like people are bitching out there. and I'm like, you don't even know. Life's going to back to normal <laughs> for you. Like, All I'm right. just never, I'm not going to walk. Come on. Yeah, it's been hard to listen to people, close friends, complaining about like the small things and like appreciate. Like you're mm-hmm. not at home with children right now, like who aren't going to school, or you're not losing your small business. Like there's yeah. other perspectives to see.
2: I, th- <laughs> I think you can use this weekend as a metaphor for something <clears throat> that Quinn and, and I. I'll never speak for her, but I mean, there's just kind of like a a bond that I understand <clears throat> some of the way she feels in that when it's all about adaptation so if if x is taken from me then i need to come up with y and z to compensate for that it's easy when you look at it from a physical perspective like Gwen can talk about the mechanics of accessibility wheelchairs and those things i think something that would connect our experience to yours man or anybody else struggling um is the emotional piece And for me, my wheelchair became, I had to surround myself with the right people. So I became a mirror for better or for worse because of how raw and sensitive I was. And if I was in a relationship or around people or had family members who were kind of negatively oriented, then I would manifest that behavior. And it would be very, very bad for me. And so if you look at our team for this 24-hour event, it's she and I have surrounded ourselves with people who protect us. It's like being a quarterback and having an offensive line that's world class. Like no one's going to let us get hit on the blind side. No one's going to let us become vulnerable and exposed. And, and those are the things that, again, the physical piece is in your face. You see it. But what I would suggest, and, and Quinn can correct me, is what you see out there, what you see her doing on Saturday and Sunday, the most extraordinary portion of that will be what she's doing with her heart and, and her mind, not the physical output, because what she's doing is badass to go out there and do that. And for me to not have run my first ultra distance until I was 44, three years after I told I'd never run again, that's still the scariest thing I do when I line up is, I, I am I even supposed to be doing this? You know, I've always muddled through it. But yeah, it's it's the emotional sensitivity. And so Kendra and Jorg and Sanam and Chandler and Andy, all these people that are around us, that's the that's the real secret to what's happened in this weekend.
0: And you know, I have to admit I lost my perspective as well because when we talked this morning, this is um, it's April 29th. Okay. It is. It is. All day so long. I have, I have I've gotten out of so many routines of like marking days off calendars and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, we talked and I almost um, blew this off this morning. Not, not blew it off, almost rescheduled, right? And I looked at it from a couple of different perspectives. One was the whole, you know, smart distancing, social distancing. I looked at it from my daughter being home. She's 17. And she's... And like, should I even be up here? Should I be doing this? And as I was driving up, I was thinking that six weeks ago, two months ago, this would have been a done deal with absolutely no no questions asked about getting up here and making this happen. This would have been 100% certain. Right. You know, and I had lost my perspective on what was happening and what I needed to do. Yeah. And you were direct, but not forceful. You just yeah. sort of laid out the facts and I immediately snapped back into it. And yeah. I realized last night too, I was talking to a friend of mine Yeah, that the, the people that I am around and I'm not, and I'm talking more about the stuff I'm consuming. Like yeah, I listen to yeah. a lot of comedy podcasts yeah. and I've been binge watching stuff. I love it. But it's not my typical, Audio diet and yeah. not my typical of like books that challenge me, books yeah. that increase my skill set. Yeah, and I realized like in an instant with your conversation this morning, it was like I'm not feeding myself the right way, and it's affecting. And let's just take sure. the COVID screen out of yeah, all this. Sure, but I was like, thank you for just reminding me. And I was driving up through here, and like the <laughs> the the mountains. I'm a mountain guy. I've been in Colorado my yeah. whole life. And it's amazing, Looking at right? this like a blessing, like not that I have to do this, that yeah. I get to do this. Yeah. And where this podcast started, that it was a, literally a distraction, and that you wanted to talk to me, that Quinn wanted to, talk yeah, to absolutely. Me. I mean, it, and, and I lost sight of that. Yeah.
2: It's well, it's easy to do, right? And I think
0: yeah. uh, in in
2: in Kendra and I have talked about this in the in the last month and a half or so up here and. There's so many different terms, smart distancing, physical distancing, social distancing, the, the nuances. And I think it's, you know, we, we are all, we're all looking, you know, there's a great saying, you stand where you sit. So my perspective is I wanted to meet you. I wanted to talk to you. But I also, as I said, I'm a professional and, and Quinn's a professional. And I thought like it would, the right thing to do was to make this happen. And, I, and I'm so grateful that you did. And it's been, you know, just, you know, from our previous conversations uh, on the phone and um, what you're able to do given this platform, regardless of, you know, what your your typical interview, um, you know, style is or, or, or who the people you bring on. It, it, every, one person who wasn't going to hear this is hearing it. And that one person, uh, you know, to use a bad COVID-19 analogy, it's going to spread, you know, and that's I think it's finding that that balance is, is, you know, Kendra and I have talked about about being smart, um, applying risk management, doing a proper risk assessment and and then and then still living. Yeah. You know, and still being like uh, I I, I, I don't want to be reduced to this kind of soundbite. But one of the reasons I feel so obligated to put everything I have into this is we're going to navigate this pandemic the same way we navigated the 1918 influenza pandemic. We're going to navigate it the way that smallpox and polio and Ebola in their differences. And and I'm not reducing them, and I'm being reductive and saying that they're same. But when this is successfully navigated and society is adapted to the new normal, my friend is still in a wheelchair right and and I can't be i have to be able to chew gum and walk at the same time and if I can't do that then um you know I, I I shouldn't be here and and you are just giving you're just being a vessel for me setting conditions in a challenging time with friends of mine um with the full recognition that once this has been navigated she's still in a wheelchair and i'm That's not good enough for me. So if it had been unsafe or if this had been, I I would have been right on board with you, Matt. Yeah. You know, I like it was direct, but I thought it was a good, healthy conversation. And I'm grateful that you took the time to drive up.
0: Yeah, and I I appreciate you talking to me in that way. And it it was not angry or confrontational. And it just made me realize that. Well, I
2: was scared because I don't want to disappoint her. Like, I I want to be admonished.
4: (laughs) Even the timing of this event, yeah, seems a little odd to me. I'm like, you know, like this, people are still in the midst of this, and people are. There is no money to give necessarily for some folks, but you know what, this event is still happening and people are still in hospitals with other injuries happening like cancer and spinal cord, yeah, all of that stuff, so. Yeah,
0: yeah and I just lost sight of my disciplines and the, the minute, the second you said the word professional, like that's what I've always wanted this to be mm-hmm. is just as good as I can make it with my skills and my conversations and the people I talk to and I realized that I got away from the mm-hmm. things that were helping me become professional. Like I would have confirmed with you last week. Yeah. Typically. Well, I mean, like and I would have was, had the mic test set yeah. up last week, and well, not I, kind of panicked. Right? Well,
2: she and I were talking. Like I was really from our phone conversations, looking forward to talking to you. Well, thank you. I mean, it's it's your your interview style is so uh, refreshing compared to some of you know the basic, very rote scripted things that Quinn and I do. <laughs> and again, it sounds it sounds like we're not being grateful, but. I, I think, and I'd love Quinn's thoughts on this, because we've been doing podcasts around the same amount of time in terms of like post-accident trauma type stuff. Sure. Is it, for me, as after maybe like the third or fourth one, I'm like, I just feel like this is, I, I feel like we're doing an off-Broadway <laughs> thing, because I'm not qualified to be on Broadway. But I'm saying the same thing. In the same kind of regimented, structured way, and that the the hosts are essentially going back and looking at previous podcasts. And I would like, and, and some of my friends, I tease them They're like. So I understand Joshua that uh, you like helping out your friends, and I'm like, literally, that's the same transition sentence that the last three jokers used. And when I talk to you, I'm like, this guy doesn't know anything about me, and that's delicious. I love it. Like he just was told to a friend, and I was like, so I'm going to say something that I didn't intend to say. And that's going to be the most valuable thing I share with someone who doesn't know me um, in Florida who happens to listen to that. And I think Quinn and I were just sitting out sunning ourselves like lizards when you came up, <laughs> and we we're like, "This is so fucking rad! Like, I don't like, I don't know what he's going to ask. Yeah, he's got a good he's got a good radio voice. Like, I mean, it's going to be good. It's going to be fun." <laughs> She didn't even get a heads up. She texted me about like food earlier. And I'm like, you need to come down. We're doing a podcast at three. <laughs> no prep.
0: Well, I think the the magic comes from just being in the moment. And yeah. I've told people, and I've had people ask me that are they're like, well, what's your, what's your end result of this podcast? And I say to enjoy the hour with you. Right. And if I do that, then hopefully somebody will like that because I've made, Man, I think this is going to be maybe 90 episodes at this point. So I've made 90 true friends. Like I could call these mm-hmm. people. I have all their phone numbers. Go, hey, you want to go get a cup of coffee? And right. they would they would do that. And so for me, that's the reward. Yeah. And anything after that is right. is a side benefit and it's just it comes from being legitimate and real and in the moment. So I didn't know what the hell we were going to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to get the word out for the race. Yeah. For the event, but other than that,
2: yeah. I mean, I, I mean that that's the uh Kendra, I think this this may be more or less important that I than I think. I think when Quinn and I first this wasn't like a linear plan. Like when we first talked about it, there had been wine involved. <laughs>
1: Possibly. Possibly.
2: That's well, where we lost count. At, uh, at, uh, put at a, least Put a plug walk. in for Bird and Jim. The uh, Bird and Jim and, and our local sommelier, John Whitmer. Like, I think I had, I had initially envisioned it being out at Lily Lake, which is part of Rocky mm-hmm. Mountain National Park. But it's easily accessible off of Seven. But it's it's not anywhere near as structured and accessible as Lake Estes. So, you know, after a couple of glasses of wine, we're like, well, it's going to be great. <laughs> and this was months before the, the current, you know, um, COVID issue, and then all my races started getting canceled. And yeah. you know, like it sounds like, wow. Oh, straight white dude who gets to run professionally. How, how do you do it? I don't know. Like your races are getting canceled. Boo hoo. <laughs> but my one of my coaches is like, hey man, um, do so, you? You're like you've been known to do these things for nonprofits. Like use your skills. He's looking for the same thing. He's like, use all these months of training. And I went back to a conversation that, that Quinn and I had had. And, and I was like, that's what, you know, we definitely got to do it. And then we taught common sense. It was like Lake Estes makes sense on so many more levels, logistically and administratively. Um, and then, and this is kind of why I wanted to punt it over to Kendra again with, with no um, green room prepper script. I think the community needs something like this because everyone is head down, you know, wearing masks.
4: Facebook yelling at each other. Yeah, right? Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. It is, and this community is so much more than that. And they have been. I mean, I remember
3: your first event that we did, and they sold out of the first place, and they went to the second, and there was, what, 750 people there out supporting you? I mean, I was amazed at how the community came and that's of oh, 6,000 people up here and even before that we had the floods seven years ago and oh. the community my uh, daughter was stuck
0: up here she yeah, was at outdoor ed Yeah.
3: so that's when the mountain strong uh logo stuck to our community and people revived it again this time um but it is different when you see the facebook yelling you see you go into the grocery store and with the masks on you yeah. can't see people's expressions anymore like right. so much communication happens nonverbally, yeah. and we're losing that and yeah. so it's it's great to have these events or events like this one coming up uh, where we can rally around each other again um, and there's some other examples that are going on in the community yeah. so yeah. this is just this is going to add to it.
2: I think it was just a kind of byproduct of uh, you know yeah. circumstances yeah. that we couldn't have possibly anticipated but um you know, Kendra, Kendra, and I see each other quite a bit. It's all of that stuff is difficult to convey uh, in this in this medium, like without, again, without seeing people's pantomimes and, and face expressions. And then for these two who've been in this community for years, um, to see distancing occur beyond what I would say just physical distancing, but almost emotional and spiritual distancing. And you
4: talked about when you arrived up here today, like what yep. are we doing? Like yes, we're all at home and <clears> maybe we have more time than we used to, but yeah. we're still not really communicating right. nearly as much with anyone. Like I've done a few Zoom f- with some friends, but not really. Or you reach out a text and you don't get a response. Or yeah. Like what are we doing besides festering? And then we all have to go back into this society with one another and we're going to be pissed because we've yeah. only been doing what we want to been doing for yeah. It's a month at a time it's going to be awkward and our tempers are short like your drive up here people are driving zooming around like what are you yeah. take a deep breath it's going to be okay yes back to adapt, adapting yeah but well,
2: I think that's the in, in, in Kenner and I have talked about this I think the the bill I'll use it I'll use a comparison to you know the global war on terror and uh, the you know the war in Iraq and Afghanistan I could have told you this in the early 2000s, that the bill, the dinner bill was going to come around now with mental health issues. The fact that in the last 10 years, you've had more veterans commit suicide, 60,000 in a decade, than you had in the 20 years of the Vietnam conflict, roughly 54,000. I think the focus has been so much at the five meter target on COVID that people are worried about viral contamination. and physical illness I think the true bill is going to be uh, the byproducts of um, mental illness depression anxiety um, all the things that we've talked about and just from different angles but the re um, connection of society is going to be disjointed it's going to be angular and oblique Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that what we're seeing is the manifestation of that in social media communications and those kind of I think we're not truly going to understand the COVID-19 pandemic's impact on society uh, for another five or 10 years. I think that I'm just looking at the psychological, um, long-term impacts of combat and what trauma, and it really doesn't matter what the genesis is. Our community, like every other community, is experiencing significant emotional trauma right now. and we will navigate the physical illness piece we've done it as a as a human as humans for a long time but i think we're still largely inept we're like it's like playing operation but we're wearing
0: oven mitts There's going to be lots of fucking <laughs> for the next fucking few years yeah i think you're right the physical side of the illness is easier to treat and it's the emotional side of the isolation and somebody posted on reddit just you know be aware of people in domestic violence situations where yeah. else do you go if you don't if you can't go anywhere
2: yeah. i would already heard anecdotally even in our community from someone who works on that response side that the numbers are way elevated and and we're no different than any other community right now yeah. you're, everyone's on top of each other right now fortunately my cats are stuck <laughs> <laughs> there's no one else is feeding these fires <laughs>
0: Well, and Joshua had raised an interesting question about uh, surrounding yourselves with people that are positive and a a good influence. And a question for you, Quinn, is were there people after your accident that left you or you had to leave them because of your new life?
4: Definitely. And it's still a process that's occurring now. And I think reverting back to what I said about this COVID stuff is kind of refreshing some of that for me. Um, I'm... I notice that I'm having some anger towards people that I thought I was close to or I still think I'm close to and um, trying to look within in myself of how am I I'm not supporting them, how am I not being a positive role model for them or for myself and being better. Um, but yes, definitely with initial injury, there were people that stepped up to the plate who kind of came out of nowhere and were, yes, acquaintances, but now are closer and we are more sh- we share more. And there's definitely the friends that I was hanging out with on almost a daily basis or doing activities with. But it turns out I was just their play partner or that, yeah, vice versa. We were just a play partnership, not necessarily a friendship, um, which can be really frustrating when you thought you've shared so much with all of these people um, and they're gone so quickly. But I think like with any trauma, when you have, when you bear your first child, you have friends that come in and friends that go away because you can't hang out any longer uh, in the same capacity that you used to hang out in. Um, and that's been a huge frustration for me and continuing with this injury is I can go do stuff. And seeing how our community is reacting with just one another in this pandemic time, it has so many analogous moments to disability and how we view one another and your, and your handicaps I guess, rather than, I appreciate Joshua's point of a different ability. We're all different abilities. Right. Shit, like some of us have to pee every two hours, and right. some of us can hold it like racehorses for 12 hours. Like Well, we I see to... us as the
2: X-Men, yeah. really, honestly. I'm a mutant, for sure. <laughs> That's right, yeah. for, right? Yeah. For sure. Yeah, exactly. And we all have
4: our <clears throat> gifts, but just <clears throat> seeing one another... Yeah, and those friendships or those lack of compassion for one another is... It's been an interesting wave ride for me with this injury Um, and learning like it's things that i thought i learned before but uh, yeah you learn the hard way and you learn fast
2: i like to know i'd like to get your thoughts on this quinn i think one of the one of the greatest ironies about becoming physically incapacitated or losing skills that you had before was it made me recognize how kind of self-absorbed i'd been Mm -hmm. before Like almost losing something made me, I don't know if that's generational or it's just a sweeping, you know, broad sweeping generalization. But I know that it's again, like Quinn continues to help me grow in looking at, you know, different abilities or different challenges from literally a a literal line of sight. And I think when you when if you're if you're essentially born of some privilege in the late 20th early 21st century in America innately you're going to be relatively self-absorbed when you look at what people's academic pursuits are like you know how many how many vocations are focused on fixing yourself and you can look at it over you know contemporary history and see kind of like picking up coming out of the 60s and into the 70s I think the best thing that being injured the way I was was made me appreciate how good I'd had it and honestly sometimes how just selfish I'd been. like man, I'd already won the lottery in 1970. won had it, right and then so now I doesn't it doesn't mean I, I'm always having to work. I'm always having to be present and in their days I'm definitely all you know what was me looking at myself. but I think one of the, the things that Quinn and I got, out of the, the traumas that you know we endured is like, hey, man, there's some stuff that's really rad that I had. And sometimes now I just pick my eyes up. I'm like, I see people. I see people's challenges that I hadn't seen before because I was just so focused on how do I feel? How am I processing this today? Like, man, like and then having her as a pal, like I still fucking have it great. Man, like, how bad can I have it?
4: Well, and even myself, I have full function of my hands and I can breathe on my own. Holy crap. Like, I almost, I mean, I fell 120 feet. I shouldn't be here yeah. at all. So, yes, I'm meeting new friends and engaging. Yeah. And how special is that? But it is really hard with with grief and trauma. Yeah. The same as the tears get spaced out in between. Yeah. Maybe I'm finding that those bad, bad habits or former habits. Yeah are equally as susceptible to seep back in. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, as much as we've learned, yeah, still. and as much as we are still learning right. and have layer peeled off the layers of the onion, those shallow layers still come up yeah. from time to time. And it's, at least step one is acknowledging it, yeah. and step two, washing it off if you can. Yeah. But I think as a society, this, hopefully just, this whole situation that we're in right now just peeled off another layer. Yeah. Or the floods peeled off a layer and, we're back to being kind of shallow in some moments in right. this community, but we're digging deeper. Yeah. Know. You know, I
2: think that's true. We, become, we sometimes become uh, prisoners of our own success. You know, it's the, the, the more, you know, the more comfort we have or the more, you know, easy our lifestyle comes, the easier it is to become, you know, to, to be focused on self-actualization of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And sometimes it's good to fucking worry about where your next breath is coming from. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like shedding, uh, like the, the bull elk up here shedding their horns. Like mm-hmm. you, you go from having this huge rack and it's being this physical presence to starting all over. And there are great metaphors, molting of skin or whatever. And I, I hate to just chuck in so, many, so much low-hanging fruit <laughs> up here in Bar for with with wildlife. But I think... Getting kicked in the teeth and really losing something of value, um, I can only speak for myself, made me, you talk, Matt, about your kind of climb out of that space where you look in the mirror and you're like, I fucking do not like who I am. (laughs) I don't like what I've become. And I don't like this energy that I have put off. And I think me, you know, falling from grace through first traumatic injury and then becoming addicted to opioids, like, that was the comeuppance that I needed, and I'm like to Quinn's point is, I still make heaps of mistakes. I still don't treat people the way I always would like to. I still regret certain things, but the frequency becomes further and further in between, more and more tempered, and I'm acutely aware of it. Where back, I think to your point, when you're in that complete self-obsessed, <laughs> terrible state, I at least in my point, I was. So arrogant and so self focused that I had no concept of what a dick I was, <clears throat> and it wasn't until I got blown up. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, right. That right. we could have been clowns, yeah, <laughs> sure. right, right? For yeah. sure. And and I, you know, and that's that gives me patience with people I see going through mm-hmm. that process because, like Quinn said, like we're still those shallow things still, but we don't like being up on pedestals and been like oh because you guys had these accidents you've overcome this like i know i still have my conversations where i'm like oh what a dick i wanted to oh, say sure it.
4: like my learning <laughs> process with the friendships like it's not my friendships <laughs> just right. abandoned me like right it's obviously who i am too like who i was before like what was i looking for in these friendships that i thought oh. were friendships like maybe i wasn't treating them appropriately or what they needed and so when it came to foot the bill, like, they were like, oh, she's just a play partner. She's not my friend because she was always kind of on a shallow effort with me. Um, So definitely having to look really inward Mm -hmm. at like, how am I treating people and how, yeah, relationships work two ways. And
2: I'm going to, I'm going to utilize that to do a name drop of the biggest person we can in Estes for someone who's actually really a friend and a good dude. Um, Climber, some people have heard of named Tommy Caldwell is going to post something. Is going to post something for Quinn and I today. And he's like, Thanks for sending this over, I'll post for sure and good luck. Because it's a good dude it will always be there for for people. Right? Yeah. Like but she's she's right. Like I found that when I hadn't had all those challenges, you know, when I was driving the Range Rover and was the up and coming Army Special Operations officer and had all that. like everyone wants to be around your light. We used to call it they want to touch the magic. So the more elite the unit, the more sequestered off it is. And like f- physically, like sometimes they would want to get into Camelot just so they could like be next to you. And that distorts the way that you see the world. Sure. And then, you know, one of my, I remember, remember having this conversation with my mom and I was really struggling with addiction to painkillers. And i like, you know, it fucking pisses me off. that Y'all wanted to be right around me every time I was being interviewed or like this, like, but this is, like, this is the real me now. This, this, and this is when I need you This is when around. I need you guys. And, like, it, it's the same way I think you can look in r- romantic relationships and familial relationships and all those things. Like, to Quinn's point, it's shocking. Like, when you really go through the shittiest stuff, it, it was almost like, like, even still now, like, you, you're like, I would have picked that person to be with me the whole time. Like, that person would have never let me down and it's like you said all of a sudden someone who is just like some acquaintance like hey you know i always thought he or she was cool but they totally step up and that like i think that makes this whole existence this spinning around the mortal coil until we leave like i'm naturally intellectually curious and so that from a sociological standpoint like quinn and i both went through that like you know rising quickly falling and rising from the ashes again, I've learned more about people in that compressed time frame than I did in the decades of living before that. Because you really want to see who your friends are. Fucking lose all the shit that attracted people to you, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? That's and that's. I mean, it doesn't sound profound, but when you're on the receiving end and you're because it's like so shocking. You're like, I thought you were like my best friend. And really, it turns
4: out they just really liked the calluses on my feet. They just like you, just like their, just like your <laughs> bunions. Now that I have these like soft baby feet, just like, the, just like those bunions and the calluses, oh, girl. No. <laughs> yeah, no,
2: but I mean that's like it, it's I, you know I don't wish that on anybody, but it's an education that I wouldn't trade for anything. You know, it's like it's it was the most painful experience, like to reach out to somebody who I thought was a really close colleague, and you're just like toxic. There it go. No, you're actually. Mm, no. It's yeah. wild.
4: There's people in the spinal cord injury community that have like, you know what? I wouldn't trade this for anything. Like I am a better human. Yeah. This injury sucks, but I am better and I will keep moving forward better. Uh, I'm still not quite there yet. Yeah. Like I still daydream back to who I was and yeah. where I would be. And I'm getting to that point where I'm like, you know what? Right. Like I wanted to be married and have a relationship that was long, enduring and lasting and all of those things but I was just finding play partners over and over again and without this injury I wouldn't have actually spoken up for what I needed and listened for what they needed. Yeah. So I'm finding that place but hell yeah I'd like to return to it my legs again a little bit. Yeah.
2: No, and that's and that I mean that's again the for being forward focused. Um and I don't know what your feelings are on on this. It's the trap that I had to get out of was the time machine like I would obsess about what if I just this one decision Mm -hmm. and like for her even it's even though it happened to her on El Cap and it happened to me in the back of a gun truck in Iraq the differences between me not being in a chair and her being in a chair literally centimeters and those kind of things will keep you up all night what if I had what if I had been number one guy through the door or what if our gun truck hadn't been second in order of movement and it is the most dangerous space Mm -hmm. that you can get into because the reason that like almost like a broken record I talk about Matt this is forward focus is one of my biggest triggers for depression was living at the end of January 2005 and living there forever. Not only
4: that you not only do you have these what ifs but you're spinning these narratives over and over and over again and they confound in each other. Right. So now you've said, well, what if I was this? But then now you are this person. And <laughs> right. Then, and then it spins out even over here and it just keeps like spiraling down into this. What yeah. if, what if, what if I was this human? But if you look back, like, you were kind of that human. but Yeah. And the, those are kinder of decisions, but not really.
2: And the things that I have to own from that, because she's exactly right, is you know, so many relationships that I that I probably let fall apart. It was because I wasn't present. You know, I wasn't there. I was living in this mythical, you know, the 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 the, the uh, like Stranger Things, the the <laughs> underside. Like I was, I was physically there, but I was thinking. Just like to Quinn's point, like what if, what if, and it's these all these branches and sequels. And once you go down that rabbit hole, and then further, I was anesthetizing it with every amount of drug that I could put <laughs> into my body sure. at any one time. So I like, go, I was literally like Cotton Candy Head, like I would again wheel me in, but I'm not, I'm not there. And Quinn, because I, you know, I'll never cease talking about how much she's inspired me. This wings for life piece, this is her deal. We, I, I came up with initially that let's run around circles and bike around circles but like she put the meat on the bones and that was Wins for Life for me is about I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life in this endeavor to have my friend be able to to walk again and I, I don't accept anyone telling me well it's unlikely I, fuck off I don't care like that's not like I it because the, from a selfish perspective she has gotten me out of feeling sorry for myself about anything that happened last week or the week before, because as Sufian and says in one of my favorite songs, um, I think, you know, the past is the bridge to nowhere, (laughs) you know, and, and, and it doesn't matter. Even if something I did yesterday, like I can't, like Quinn has got me laser focused on tomorrow and given me tools to be a better person tomorrow, but I'm not, I can't exist in 2005. Or 2011, I can't, it's, then I'm wasting whatever gift, whatever limited gift I have. And
0: that's all her. I mean, that's been her. Well, I'm happy you brought that up because one of the articles about you talked um, about the the process of the accident, right? And the, the you tired, the climbing and all that stuff. And you talk about your position in the, the gun seat, right? And I know I've talked about this a ton on the podcast, but I'll be brief, but I went through like a a fear journey. So I read the science of fear that led Mm -hmm. me to stoicism that led me to uh, deep survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. And he did this analysis of accidents of who lived and who died. So like people getting stranded in the ocean and people getting, um, the planes that crash in the mountains. Right. And you have a very distinct sequence that you're processing over and over for both of your events. And what have you found effective that has taken you towards accepting it? Because I, I replay things all the time, right? And I just go, man, if I had done this or hadn't done that, and I haven't had the the penalties for failure that both of you have had, but still it was sure. un- unpleasant Is yeah. the, the, yeah biggest word that i would use with that but working towards looking forward instead of back what have you found effective on changing that vision
4: Um, i mean it's still it's still a work in progress for me um i still lay in bed and and try to break down the scenario of that day or that particular last five minutes of rock climbing um again less and less um but i think for me it was a helping process has just been honesty and honesty to yourself, but also to others. So, whenever I was doing these big climbing endeavors before, um, I didn't really like to tell anyone of my plan because of failure. I didn't want to mm. jinx it, um, but I also didn't want to be like pre spraying that I was going to go do this thing and I'm amazing and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be so easy. Um, <laughs> but I'm finding with this injury that you kind of, it's not pre spraying, but I needed to say the word out loud you are paralyzed. You are an addict. You are these. Mm-hmm. Like You needed to say those phrases like, I am sad. I am angry. You don't have to be stuck in that person or I have it right now. I have anger right now, but I am not an angry person or I am grumpy right now and I have an extreme amount of nerve pain, but that doesn't mean I'm a total raging bitch all the time. <laughs> I've just been dealing with a pretty traumatic thing for the last two years and I'm going to get there and I will goof again, yeah. but right now I'm not. So just being honest with myself that it is okay, it will happen again, that I will find love and I will find mm. joy and happiness and purpose, all of those things. But right now, it's just not happening. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's think- a great thing from parenting that I've heard and that read that's saying instead of owning that I am sad, it's I
3: am mm. feeling sad. Yeah. And so you're re- you're separating this attachment to the feeling. And it's the same thing kind of with what you were talking about earlier with your sense of identity of I am this or I am that, I am a climber, I am a ranger, whatever. And who are you really as a person? And as you have had those friendships come and go, like what is it at the core of a person, of a soul that makes those people stay and go? And it wasn't the adventure seeking and it wasn't because they wanted to touch the shiny golden armor, you know, but I think this whole experience sort of brings you back to who, what is I am,
2: and I could explore that for a minute because there's one thing that uh, that Quinn talked about. You know, it, the, the old saying is, you know, you send it and then you spray it. And I know that coming from my background, number one, the ethos was just being a quiet professional. You just didn't, it, by the very nature of what I was doing, it was generally clandestine or, or it, I found that when I had to own I had to own that I felt scared that I couldn't do something because I'd never really been told that you you can't until 2011 until Thanksgiving 2011 I never been like when I was told you're not gonna run again that was a binary discussion that I was unfamiliar with and that I found as I was starting to learn this process of loving myself and and changing and growing and, and using running as something bigger than me was the, the scariest thing was to say I was going to do something because mm-hmm. I was afraid. What if I didn't? Because I'd never done that. And I think when you look at, you know, events like what Quinn and I are doing now, it, you know, again, I can't, not, can't speak for her, but something that's always going on in the back like, oh, my God, what if you fuck it up? Like, but but by putting it out there gives me courage because of my natural competitiveness and my natural desire to, to do something. Like, I, okay, now i put a marker on the wall. Otherwise, I fear, in my case, I would have just um, fallen back into this kind of, not self-pity, but I just wouldn't have taken any chances. Like, what if I can't do it, you know? It's like, wh- when as a professional athlete do you go from being an athlete to an ambassador? Like, when can I not send something? When can I not race this? And I found like people love a second chance story. People love you being honest and vulnerable and saying like, hey, we're going to go do this before we've done it would have been antithetical to the environment I came from. But it's probably been one of the healthiest transitions for me emotionally because it gets me up out of bed. If I was just me running around trails and there are people who do that, there are purists who no one knows they're not on social media and stuff. And, and if that's centers them and gives them worth, that's great. But for me, because of my fear of maybe not being able to do something by putting out a bold, you know, an audacious goal, I get up, you know, and I go put the work in and I do it. And like, I was really grateful that she agreed. Like we were just going to tell people months before we did this shit.
4: What an <laughs> audacious goal to cure spinal cord research. Oh, oh I mean, I
2: mean we should be able to get that polished off this weekend. <laughs> Come on, Elon Musk. you have got so Come much on. money, and nobody power. needs any more Teslas. No,
4: but <laughs> stop digging tunnels under LA. And put your money in spinal cord research.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, do you just a little bit? Did you mm-hmm. find that to be transition for you? Because I mean, you were doing, yeah. I mean, you came from that climber ethos, which is. You don't talk about it generally until you do it.
4: Yeah, you don't talk about it, but...
2: But we're not doing those things for this personal achievements as much anymore as for something bigger, right? right. The mission. Yeah. yeah.
4: And same, like I have to talk about like how my day is going to go or how, like before I come over, like, hey, how many steps do you have? Can yeah, I yeah. get in? Like you have to just make, have to make more plans and be less yeah. off the seat of the handle now. Yeah. But that's okay. It's, yeah. It shouldn't be an embarrassment or... No, it's good. Yeah
2: more people I guarantee you we'll do more good running and biking around a flicking a freaking lake for 24 hours because we've manifested it in the way that we have than if Quinn and I just went out and did it one
0: day and then posted something on social media it'd be like, yeah. uh, i like, cool great. Super. Well, well done, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there's self promotion, and then there's cause and um, mission promotion. Yeah. And I think our job is very different. Things. Our job
2: is to enlist every possible resource, human, financial, material, like whatever it is. And you can't do that by still playing the, the way that we came up—the too cool for school business. It yeah. does like that's cool mm-hmm. if you're sending something the first time and you want to go do it and, and get a running. Setting an FKT. You are
4: just doing it for your own personal right. endeavor. Right. But exactly so yeah, there's millions out there with this kind of injury and,
2: yeah. and, it, it, and talk out loud <laughs> about it. Right. It's not that like make us feel like more important than we are, but it's that's a conscious decision that she and I were faced with and our own development out of injuries into what we're capable or differently able to do now. Is I had to make peace with the fact that I worked in organization that very few people even knew of, much less knew that I was in for years. And I had to change the paradigm because it was so uncomfortable. The first time I actually signed a contract to be a runner, like the first time I was like, oh, I'm I'm fucking legit at this, I was sitting down with one of the marketing people after we signed the contract and she's probably in her mid 20s and so at this point I'm like 45 and she's like, all right, so what's what's your social media presence? And I literally responded with, well, I, I signed up on Facebook six months ago. And she looked up at me and she goes, <laughs> that's fucking adorable. My grandmother's on Facebook. <laughs> like, and I was like, well, I, you know, I got to tell people what to do. And now I've gotten to a point where like I've gotten past the purest point of it. And Quinn and I were just talking about this before you guys even got here. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm so sick and tired of like being, it's like being Eddie Vedder. Pearl Jam in the early nineties, like I'm so sick of being famous. Like <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I gotta take a picture and put it up. Are you gonna pay me to do that? What a pretentious dick. Like if that's what, if that's the vehicle that I I have if that's the the bill for me, getting people to notice what we're doing, that is a small damn bill to pay. Yeah. And but what's weird is in our world, it's a weird it's not linear. Like you, you deal with a lot, you struggle with a lot of different emotions and stuff getting that. And like, I'm really proud of where we're at right now that just, you know, over some kind of offhand wine induced conversation, you know, several months ago, like, Hey, like we, we put like a bold target up and said, fuck it. Like we're all in and then call all of our friends. I don't care how famous you are. I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable. I need you to help us. All right. Yeah, and like we're going to raise money and make a difference, and someone's going to benefit from that. Whereas before, what I was doing was pretty self indulgent. But thank God that self indulgent endeavor got to me to where I can do something bigger than me now.
4: You stopped looking in the rearview mirror. I did. At yourself. I did. At <laughs> my, <and> my face. <laughs> Look at this handsome hot mess. <laughs> oh, <good laughs>
0: Uh-huh. Well, one question for you, Joshua, is the 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 guy that introduced us, the whole reason I'm sitting here, yeah. is our mutual friend and your neighbor, Victor. Yeah. Right? And I talk about these amazing coincidences. Yeah. And um, your truck had broken down on the side of the road, yeah. right? Yeah, truck if I was cool. It's a Subaru Outback. I'm about as hipster cliche as you,
2: <laughs> as you get. I have the same color here as a nice car. But yeah
0: um but as victor was telling me this story he had um he was fostering a former service dog Belgium, yeah and he was telling me the story you just got in the, the maybe it's his truck you got yeah, in his, his truck, truck. Yeah. and just the way you interacted with the dog and the way you guys sort of uh, immediately knew without saying where you came from yeah what is that vibe like can you look across the room and tell that somebody was an elite soldier like what what is the yeah to go back to your phrase touching the armor like yeah is it the way that somebody carries that was such a
2: weird you talk about yeah you talk about random chaos theory Mm -hmm. so like i wish people who who weren't from this area understood just the fact that two people of our background even live this close to one another my car had broken down coming up 36 i used to live on pole hill on the other side of town uh, it was just like constantly having these these uh, electrical problems and I basically <laughs> intentionally crashed my car into a tree because I lost all all electrical <laughs> function like I was like everything <clears throat> ceased and like I knew like I had to I was gonna start rolling back down the valley so he happened to be driving behind me and saw me intentionally like like the, the like the helicopter in Zero Dark Thirty in the, in the uh, Bin Laden compound. Like I'm, like I gotta ditch it. He looked at it. He's like, that seemed deliberate. This is the guy's either a moron, <laughs> he's either a functional idiot, or there was a reason for that. Yeah. And so this is like it. I don't know. I've been down at an event in Boulder, like eleven at night on like a Thursday. That's a pretty desolate stretch during that time period. I got out and I was just start hoofing it. I was gonna like, you know, I was down just, just. South. He lives in Pinewood, so it's just I was like, this is going to be a bit of a hike tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and he drove by, and then he came back and, and looped around, and he, yeah, he had it, it was, I think a white truck. I, 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 but I remember him pulling up next to me and opening the door, and it was um, one of the service dogs we used in some of the um, elite tier one two units in uh, in U.S. Special Operations Command. And you just don't see a ton of those. Um, and Victor definitely kind of had um, an energy about him. There's like a kind of quiet confidence that you'd like to think people in my background have, you know, when you're not getting shot or blown up, nothing really seems that serious. <laughs> and he like didn't, he, like he didn't seem, you know, f- nervous or amped up that a stranger was going to get in there. And I just interacted with the dog without even thinking this is a strange dog, or it's a dog that's being fostered. And he said that dog had had problems with people. And um, I have a history of being around dogs that are <laughs> reactive. There's been a couple in my life in the last few years, and they adopt me. And, and yeah, and I think like he picked up something on me because I think he initiated it and, it, and it ended up he'd been down at, at Fort Carson and an organization, and I. All I had to say was, yeah, I was at Fort Bragg for 15 years, and he knew there's yeah. only one reason that you're there. Um, and yeah, and it was, I was just shocked. And he was, we didn't talk much. Um, we, you know, exchanged numbers, and he drove me up to the place I was at at the time. And we've been in touch ever since. Like, it'd be the weirdest times. Like, I'd see him at the Estes Community Center. Like, he'd just pop in, or we'd be, you know, having a meal at the same at the same time but it's comforting to know that it was a dude to just i think anywhere it didn't really matter that i was in a specialized organization or a series of them for a number of years It's that anyone with a shared history you know particularly if it's more obscure right and if it's like you're definitely um you know two sore thumbs at the same party you're like <laughs> looking for the other sore thumb you're like, i don't, I don't, I don't one of these things is not like the other and it's me. So like I met Victor in Pinewood Springs in Estes Park. I'm like, oh, thank God. Mm-hmm. Like I literally met into, I, I I, befriended a guy who'd been a, a, a clandestine officer in the agency uh, out of Langley and then Victor within like two months. And I'm like that, that, I mean, that is... The likelihood of that would be like the likelihood of me getting an A in a math class. Mm-hmm. It's not likely. The statistical probability wasn't high. But yeah, I mean, it was really. And and through him, I met you, you know. And that's. um, But it's weird, like how the six degrees of Kevin Bacon stuff works. Like, I would say Quinn and I meeting had nothing to do with the fact that we've had spinal injuries. It was that we've had a mutual friend who just thought, Mm -hmm. like, you two you're like two biggest goofballs i know like and we hit it off like immediately Mm -hmm. and there's that shared history and those things that are victor was just one of those guys like oh it's nice to have some comfort food Mm -hmm. every now and again
0: well this has been awesome um i can't thank everybody enough for doing this and i'd love to do a, a part two after the event and get into how it was, what happened, you know, decompressing on that. And right on. just, it's been uh, an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. It's been a real treat. Thanks so much for making the drive up yeah. here. Uh, it was nice. actually a delight. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was nice to get out. Kendra, thanks for being the last surgeon of this last week. Yeah. <laughs> just
2: like in crooching. I'd like to see how adaptive she is. <laughs> amazing. So. Look, well, to be fair, she owed me because I have a image of me in goddess pose at a yoga class. That
3: I noticed did not make social media. It's going to
2: yeah. like, <laughs> if I'm saving that, that's like depleted uranium. You know, don't just give that up early. You sit on that piece of gold. Yeah. It's not a horse. Oh no. No, it's uh, I'll show you this thing right here. This thing is a thin slice of heaven, Matt. Right here. Because once guys like Victor see this. I will be buying rounds forever. <laughs> Kendra has this capacity to get me. Look at that right there. That spider monkey.
0: Well, at least you're not wearing short shorts. That's all I can oh, say. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I. What's the, what do I have to A say? Team. Invoke your, invoke your, invoke your inner goddess. That's right. So. Well, well Quinn, thanks, man. Joshua, Kendra, this has been awesome. Thank you so Thank much. You. If you like this show, I have two requests. One is to share it with someone and make sure that they know what a podcast is and how to get it. Either show them iTunes or Spotify. And the second request is let me know if there's somebody that you would like to be interviewed in your personal circle. Uh, People ask me all the time where I find these guests and... They're friends on Facebook, friends on LinkedIn. Uh, I see uh, news articles, and I simply reach out and talk to them and ask them if they'd want to tell their story. So uh, this podcast was founded on the premise that you don't have to be rich and famous to tell a compelling story. And if there's somebody in your world that uh, you think would be a great interview, I guarantee you they would be. And just shoot me a note at podcast at thewarmfront.com, and let's hook it up. Thanks. So it's springtime in the Rockies, and that means that in Colorado it can be 80 or it can be 40 and snowing. And that's why, with the help of just a huge group of friends, I designed and started selling the warmfront. It's a thermal chest warmer for cycling, for running, skiing, walking. And it's a piece that I think helps keep you warm without adding a bunch of bulk to what you have to carry when you're out getting a little exercise and getting some fresh air. And now that the shelter in place restrictions are eased a little bit, it might make more sense to go out either early morning or in the evening when there's less people around. And it can be cold, or it could be not, or it could change. And so it's, uh, again, my company. It's my product that um, so many people have worked on. And it's just a thermal bib that keeps you warm. And so take a look at warmfrontcom They're made here in Colorado by my partner, Linda. And our company tagline is that it prevents purple nurple. And you'll get a glimpse of that <laughs> when you go to the website. Thanks.